Welcome to Meet the Leadership Podcast, where we delve in to the personal and professional journeys of Walden University's inspiring leaders. I'm your host, Deb Matozo, and today we have a special guest who embodies the essence of courage and leadership. Our guest in today's episode is a distinguished transformational leader with a remarkable career, spending over three decades in public and private universities. She has left a memorable mark on higher education with a comprehensive portfolio encompassing regulatory and student affairs and accreditation for nursing and health sciences programs. Throughout her illustrious career, today's guest has been a driving force in designing and overseeing academic programs, emphasizing student success metrics, and pioneering initiatives focused on retention, engagement, and professional development. I am honored to delve into her insights and experiences, exploring her commitment to diversity and inclusion and her dedication to shaping informed and responsible individuals. Let's warmly welcome Walden University's Vice Provost of Institutional Effectiveness, Engagement and Academic Performance, Dr. Savitri Dixon-Saxon. Thank you so much, Deb, for that introduction. I keep going, who's that person? Thank you very much. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us today. So um, before we dive in, let's start with some personal questions, right? Just so we can get our guests, our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So uh, Dr. Savitri, what are you most passionate about? What gives you joy? Well, you know, it's interesting because I'm at a really... Uh, I say a um, interesting time of life. My entire life, it seems that I have heard people talk about people being of the sandwich generation, you know, and interestingly enough, this was um, that whole concept of the sandwich generation has been one that I've always thought a lot about and how that impacts leadership. But I say that because I am at a place in life where my parents need me more than they have ever needed me before. And my daughter is about to make me a grandparent. So, you know, I have always, everybody who knows me knows that family is probably the one of the most important things in my life. But I have other passions too. I like to bake. I like to decorate. I'm an amateur gardener. I love music. Love, 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 love music. And I love to laugh. And so, you know, those things make me happy. All of those things make me happy. Um, and yeah, I would say in that order, those are the things about which I am most passionate. That's wonderful. Congratulations on becoming Thank a grandma. You. Oh, wow. That's, that's wonderful. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Now, reflecting on your past, um, is there a teacher that had the, like a significant impact on you and why? Well, it's interesting that you ask me that, Deb, because I went through most of my life when people would ask me that question, not being able to give an answer. I say most of my life, but a large part of my life, because I have over, I had probably about 30 teachers and educators in my family. And um, 
those people were very influential. My mom, my dad, um, all my aunts and uncles and cousins who have taken on the profession of education. But there are two people I have to mention. The first one is my grandmother, whose formal education um, in, in, in person stopped when she was around fourth grade. But later on in life, for her own edification, she started taking correspondence courses after she had nine children, which I think is really interesting when you think about where I have landed to educate people in an environment where we're trying to give access and opportunity to people. And I think about, you know, I oftentimes think about my grandmother um, and the, you know, what she did to push for her children to be educated because at the time their first child went to college, my grandparents were sharecroppers. They had been dairy farmers before. And then um, because of mechanization, they became sharecroppers, which made a significant difference in their lives, not in a positive way financially. Um, but my grandmother did whatever she could to finesse life so that her children could continue their education and go to college. But my grandmother taught me to read when I was about three years old. And um, when I went to school, everyone said she had taught me the wrong way because she did not, she taught me to sight read and not um, to read phonetically. But I always consider her my first formal teacher. And she made a, a huge impact on me. The other person I will tell you about is a man named Herbert Exum. And I didn't meet him until I was maybe, I, probably sometime around my early 30s, but he was my chair of my dissertation. And he um, was what I refer to as a stealth educator. He was always teaching me at times where I wasn't expecting a lesson. He taught me about imposter syndrome. He taught, he gave me so much confidence in what I could do. And he taught me about my own power to educate myself where there were gaps and maybe what I was learning formally. I, I, I cherish both those people. They were my best teachers. Wow. It's really incredible how educators can shape our lives that mm -hmm. meaningfully, right? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so my next question to you is, um, what would constitute a perfect day for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the perfect day for me definitely involves laughter, definitely involves uh, music and involves my family and my friends. Um, but my best days are when I have a chance to be outside um, and enjoying, you know, putzing around in my yard or gardening or what have you. But though that for me is a pretty great day when I'm able to laugh and spend time with the people I love and do some of the things that make me happiest. And when I'm gardening, there's usually music playing as well. <laughs> I love it. Thank I love that yeah. vision. <laughs> Thank goodness for Bluetooth speakers because I can right. take my music out and I, my neighbors may not like it, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's great. Yeah, I hear you. I'm always blasting some music on my ears mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the way to do it these days. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> now, looking back at the past decade, um, what was your most important lesson and how did you apply it? Well, you know, it's interesting that you should ask me about a decade. If you would give me license, I'll go just slightly further than that, probably sure. back to around 2011. Um, I raised my daughter um, by myself since she was two years old. And that meant that um, I knew that there were some restrictions on what I could do professionally and what I could pursue or where I could pursue it. Um, and some people would say, no, 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 there are no limits. But the reality was um, I knew that for her to be healthiest and for me not to outsource her parent, my parenting, there were some things I needed to be able to do. And that's why I wound up at Walden. Um, around 2011, I was at a crossroads because I knew I wanted to do more with my career than I was doing at that moment. I had a very rewarding job here at Walden, but I was ready for the next challenge and I was trying to figure out what the next challenge was. I've been approached about a job um, with the organization that just wasn't right for me because it would have required me to move out to Minnesota away from my system of support. And I couldn't do that. One of the first things I learned at that particular point was that it's okay sometimes to say no. That was that was really one of the first times I had ever said no to a great opportunity before. But it's it was important for me to evaluate what mattered to me. It's interesting because I had to say no to something today because of a per my personal responsibility to my family. Um, and what I will say to people is that it's scary, especially when you belong to marginalized groups, to say no. Um, but what's for you will be for you. It will come back around. The opportunities will come back around. And that's one of the things I learned. In 2011, though, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I had some jobs in mind that I would like in the next five to 10 years, but I wasn't sure whether or not I was ready for those jobs. So I looked at the, um, I looked at job ads or advertisements for five of the jobs I was most interested in. And I looked to see what those qualifications were for those jobs and how I stacked up against those qualifications. And, um, Four of those jobs said that they want a terminal degree was required and an MBA was preferred. The fifth job didn't say that. They just wanted a terminal degree. And I talked with the person, interestingly enough, who was trying to recruit me for the other job. He was generous enough to have a, a candid conversation with me and say, I don't really think you want my job. Let's talk about what you really want. And I told him about the research I was doing. And he said, that makes sense to me for those four jobs that are requiring, that are saying MBA preferred, all have an upward trajectory. That fifth job is a dead end job. It's a great job, but it's not a job for somebody who wants to continue to advance professionally. Um, I did go back and get my MBA. And a lot of what I learned wasn't new. 
but it confirmed some of the things I had already gleaned from working in an environment like Walden. And I did learn some new things that I have applied, I continue to apply even today. What I tell people all the time is be thoughtful about where you want to go. Now, here's the other thing I would say is that the other thing I've learned is that women and people of color oftentimes think we have to have everything, every qualification a job is asking for. What I learned was be courageous and try some things even if you don't have everything. Because most of those things are things you can learn. Or the other thing I found out is that organizations already have somebody who specializes in that thing. You need to collaborate and partner with that person to learn as much as you can to make informed decisions, but you don't have to be an expert in everything in an organization or everything that is a requirement for a job. Wow, so insightful. <laughs> I don't even know what my follow-up question to this is. <laughs> Thank you, yeah, I love that. Um, so is there something that you would like to re-experience because you didn't appreciate fully the first time? That is an awesome question. Um, you know, I guess the personal thing I would like to experience fully was the first couple of years of parenting. If I could get those those you know those first two or three years back and um really be focused on all of the changes that were occurring i would do that um i also think that there were points in my career where i was so busy that i with all of my personal responsibilities that, that i was just checking boxes and i wasn't stopping to really internalize what i was learning and how I was growing and developing. Um, I've had some jobs that where I definitely thought I was underemployed. But what I will tell people is be in that moment and glean everything you can from that experience because maybe the job isn't the thing that's most challenging but or, or really challenging you or feeding you. But learning to network with people, learning to work with teams, identifying who you are and how you want to impact an organization and what you bring to that organization, um, taking advantage of every professional development opportunity available to you is meaningful. What happened to me is that I was working jobs that really weren't meeting where I wanted to be at that time. And I had a collection of jobs. Before I came to Walden, I was on the staff at a university counseling center. I had two, no, three adjunct professor assignments, one, uh, two at one university for two different departments and one at another university. And I was doing outpatient therapy and I had done undergraduate assessment. And all of those things felt like, those aren't the jobs I really want. Like, this is not what I really want to be doing. And how am I going to get to where I want to be? Well, interestingly enough, 
the job at Walden I got as the director, it was called chair then, director of the Masters of Science in Mental Health Counseling Program required that a person have um, experience as a practitioner, some teaching experience, experience with assessment, um, and experience with accreditation. So all of those things that felt like, you know, oh, this isn't really what I want to be doing. This isn't really the job I wanted. All of those things prepared me to actually skip some steps that in any other environment, if I had been in traditional higher ed, I wouldn't have been able to skip. But I was open-minded and I continued to do a good job at those things, even though they weren't really feeding my soul. And all, and then something came along where all of those things mattered. So, you know, I, I say to people, I've said this to myself more and more, and I think this is, a, I may quote this incorrectly. Someone named Imam Ali wrote this, that what is for you will never miss you. And what will what misses you was was never for you. And so I have spent a lot of time preparing myself for the unknown. And then opportunity presents itself. And I was like, there you are. There you are, my thing, that thing that is right for me. So yeah, there are a lot of times where I've been dissatisfied with where I was at the moment, um, especially in the beginning of my career. But I wish I had appreciated those things now uh, at that time, because boy, have they served me well <laughs> over the course of my profession. And I'm telling you the truth. They have served me well. So whatever you're doing today, I would say this to anybody, whatever you're doing today, be the best at it. Learn from it. Observe the other people who are, your, who are in your space and learn from them. Because I promise you, if you do your best, it is going to pay off for you later wow. on. Yes. Yes. I completely agree. Those are some fantastic insights into your personal journey. You know, I'll add that similar to the quote you shared here with us, I tend to say to myself, what, what is to be already is, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of time until it gets to me or I get there. Well, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Now let's take a deep dive into moments that require a little bit more courage and resilience. So mm -hmm. um, let's see. When was the last time you took a leap of faith? and found out you could fly? Well, it's really interesting because <clears throat> some people, everything is about perspective. You could be flying and doing your best at flying and somebody on the ground sees you and they say, oh my gosh, she's falling. Somebody above you might be saying, look at her. That's a new flyer. Look at how She's flying. It's all about perspective. And you could be sitting there with heart palpitations <laughs> because you're flapping your arms <laughs> so, so hard trying to stay. Right. Um, in May of 2022, I made a decision to uh, take on a provost position at another university. I 
I, I made that choice because I knew it was something I always wanted to do. Not because I didn't love Walden, always loved Walden. Walden had fed my soul and fed my child for a number of years. So I was grateful, grateful for that, but I wanted to try. And it took, a, it took a lot of courage to try that. Um, and while I did the job, the job required courage every day. Um, and then I had to make a courageous decision to say, I accept it's not right for me at this time and in this place to be in this job. Um, and I can say now, I, I, I could even say that then, that I'm grateful that I had the experiences that I had when I did that. And I'm grateful I had the opportunity to learn one more time about how to recover when something is not successful. Wow. Um, because your successes are not the things that really develop your character. It is those things that are cha most challenging and most grueling and your willingness to say, I'm going to try again, or I'm going to do something different, entirely different. That's where character building takes place. When you look at yourself and say, that didn't go as I planned. And I still like me. And I still respect me. And I believe strongly that I have something to offer. Wow, that's such a powerful realization. That's truly inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. Um, while we are still talking on comfort and courage, um, I'm familiar with Brene Brown's work. Um, I absolutely adore her. She's one of my favorite authors. And she says this a lot in almost every one of her books. <laughs> um, so I'm going to tweak this thing that she says and ask you a question. So what needs to happen for you to put courage over comfort? Um, for me personally, it is to have a goal. To have a vision for myself is the thing that pushes me to be courageous. I will tell you, in my life right now, my courage is showing up more in my life personally. I've taken some personal chances, but, but it was because I had a vision for myself that this is not as good as it gets for me on earth. I don't know what will happen to me the day that my, my heart stops beating and there's no more breath in my body. But I do know that I'm alive on earth today. And there are times in your life where you have to confront what you have going on and say, am I really satisfied with this? Am I content with the way things are for me? Or do I believe that there's something better for me? And I believed so strongly that there was something better for me, that I was like, I'm going to pursue life in a way that I never have before. And I'm gonna tell you, Deb, I am amazed at how it's paying off for me. So I think that the thing for me, I, I said it is having a vision, but I will tell you this, it's not just having a vision for yourself. 
It is the belief that that vision you have for yourself is so much better than the moment that you're in right now, even if you appreciate the moment, that you will pursue it and you don't care what anybody else thinks about your pursuit. And that those are the times when my courage has overwhelmed any sense of comfort I had about something. Wow. Very thought provoking. I've, I've, I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I've ever felt this inspired. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like getting the boost of energy I've been needing. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. So we're going to shift gears um, to talk more about your professional life. Um, and I know we talked about who has inspired you and caused an impact on you as a teacher. So let's shift that someone to a leader who has tremendously impacted your life, right? Someone who has been a mentor to you. Um, can you name someone or, yeah, can you name someone and why and how did this person impact your life? Well, You know, professionally, I have to, I always give kudos to a woman named Denise DeZolt, who used to be the chief academic officer of Walden. Um, and in some ways that I didn't see initially, Denise and I had some, um, there were some similarities in our lives. But I always say that one, she gave me an opportunity at this university when a lot of people wouldn't based on my credentials. Um, and she truly believed in me. The second thing she did was she taught me how to advocate for myself. When she asked me what salary I required, I told her the one that was communicated to me and she looked at me and she says, I'm going to work you harder than that. So I need you to try again. So I asked for $10,000 more than I was asking for initially. She said, good. I knew you were smart. Um, the other thing she did was she gave me access to her when she was doing her work. So I had an opportunity to learn things that some of my other colleagues didn't learn about decision-making in a university because she allowed me to just sit at tables and listen to her talk to other power players. That was really important to me but I was raised by two exceptional leaders, my mother and my father. And I learned a lot from them. And I guess my father's example is the one that I will share with you the most. Um, that, that I mean, I like I said, I, they're both brilliant leaders. So I feel like I do my mother a disservice when I don't talk about her, but my father's leadership is the leadership that I probably emulate the most. And my father's leadership was rooted in care and concern for people. My father had the opportunity to work in the same school system for a few decades. And eventually they wound up naming an outdoor classroom for him. And he still stays in touch with generations of people who came either through the classrooms when he taught or through the schools when he was principal. And what you glean the most from those people who had the opportunity to work with him was that he cared about people. He cared about what mattered to people. He invested in understanding what mattered to people. 
he is, he continues to be a very generous person who respects other people's talents. And while he is one of the smartest people I have ever met in my lifetime, he's always interested in learning from other people as well. Um, my mother's tough. She, she's just tough. And if you ask her, I have said to her, I was like, Ma, you don't want, you don't want to have to deal with conflict. She was like, I live for conflict. She <laughs> is courageous. She is scrappy and she's courageous. And she believes that she can do anything, but she believes you can do anything too. And she is the most generous person I have ever met in my lifetime. So I have had the opportunity to grow up with two exceptional leaders. But from my father, I learned how important it is to invest in the relationship, a relationship with the people you're leading and to learn what matters to those people. And when you learn what matters to people, you don't have a struggle to motivate them and enlist them in your vision because you articulate your vision in a way that taps into their values. Right. Wow. I, wow. That's wonderful guidance. Very valuable insights. Wow. <laughs> I don't even have a backup. Okay. We're done. <laughs> End the podcast now. <laughs> wow. Um, so tell me, um, where do great ideas come from within the team that you lead and how do you encourage creative thinking within that team? something. Everybody on my team knows I respect them. Everybody on my team knows that I don't expect them to be just like me. I used to teach a group of um, undergraduate students. Um, I, I used to teach, well, really, uh, I had a leadership group that I was over and one of the lessons I would always teach people about was um, based on the story, The Little Red Hen. Have you ever heard of that story before? So The Little Red Hen is on a farm and there are all kinds of other animals on the farm, a cat, a dog, you know, all of these other animals. And she goes to each of them and she says to them, she's like, um, she has some seed and she says, who will help me plant the seed? And all the all the animals are just kind of lounging around and she's coming to them talking about planting the seed and they're going, not I, not I. Every one of them says, not I, I'm not gonna do that. Um, she plants the seed and she wants to know who's gonna help her harvest the wheat or whatever, you know? And every, no, not I, not I, not I. Nobody wants to do this. And she goes through this series, this process of, um, from seed to harvest to baking this bread. And nobody wants to do any of the things that she's asked them to do. And then she gets to the point where she's made this, you know, um, aromatic loaf of bread. And she says, who will help me eat the bread? And everybody's like, I will, I will, I will. And she gets angry and she's like, no, because I planted the seed by myself. I harvested the wheat, I thrashed the wheat. You know, she is just angry at them. And when you're a child and you hear this story, you, you're like, oh, you know, they got what they deserve. Those lazy animals wouldn't help her. I say, no, no, she was wrong because she wanted them to do the work without understanding where they were going. 
And it's really important for leaders to have a vision of where you're going and to enlist people in that vision. And then you figure out what your team's team members' talents are and you give them the opportunity to shine and to add value to the team with their unique set of talents. I don't know everything. And as a counselor, I learned how important it was for me to acknowledge the limits of what I know. But when I give other people the space to bring their brilliance to the organization and to my team, we are so much better than we would have been if we were only sharing my brain. So the way that I get the best out of a team is that I am clear with them that this is the vision I have. I'm also clear with my team members because this is true about me. I don't like to deal with the details. Whenever I have a vision for something, I want to deal with the beta version of it. And then I want to be gone to the next thing. <laughs> my team members know it. I don't see that as a weakness. It means that the vision needs to go to the next thing. And I need to give you an opportunity to bring your brilliance to this and to make it better than I ever imagined. The best experiences I have had professionally have not been around those things that I did by myself, but it was those things that I said, this is my vision. And then I got out of the way of other people's creativity to make it better than I even imagined. That's fantastic. Wow. That's a very important lesson, lesson for aspiring leaders or anybody mm -hmm. really. Thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, so what is one characteristic that you believe every leader should possess? Um, I think, oh, there's not one. <laughs> That's the first thing I could say is that there's not one. But every leader needs to know how to listen. Every leader needs to accept that there are other smart people around that leader. Every leader needs to have humility and be able to say, I was wrong about this. How can we recover from this? Every leader needs to have the ability to say, we're going down the wrong road. So we are going to pivot now, as opposed to being stuck and dogged about the, uh, uh, what may have seemed like a good idea at one time, but it's turning out not to be a good idea. However, that same leader needs to have courage when something is not going perfectly and everyone else may, around them may be losing heart about something that they know is a good idea. Every leader needs to be able to trust themselves first and surround, be surrounded by a team of people they can trust. So there is no one thing that makes any great leader. It is a combination of things. And here's another thing that I think every leader needs to be able to do. Every leader needs to understand that everybody doesn't need to be led the same way. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest failings I have seen of leaders is the two of the biggest failures, lacking humility, and thinking that everything, one size fit all. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Yeah, I agree with you um, when you said about communication, right? I feel like that listening is such an overlooked communication skill, and it's mm -hmm. probably the most important one <laughs> in communication. Yeah. Um, so what advice would you give someone transitioning into a leadership position for the first time? The advice I would give to someone is find you someone who tells you the truth. It may not be somebody who's a part of your team. It may be a friend. It may be a mentor, but everybody needs somebody who tells them the unadulterated truth mm -hmm. about how they're showing up and um, because it's so beneficial. The other thing I would say though, is know those things around, know where your line is. That that thing or those things about which you will not compromise. I'll tell you something that a few years ago, I'm, I'm from a place called Bennettsville, South Carolina. I'm doubting that you ever heard of Bennettsville and most of the people listening to this podcast will not have heard of Bennettsville, South Carolina. Anybody visiting Bennettsville, South Carolina would think it was just one, some little country one horse town. In a lot of ways, it is exactly that. But I am a product of that environment. I'm a product of the school systems, the people there, the churches there, all of the institutions there. And so sometimes instead of showing up as this polished person that you are hearing right now, sometimes I will introduce people to some of my folk ways because they are natural to me. It's natural when I'm conceptualizing a problem, the folk ways are the things that come to me about problem solving. And so I had, um, and I speak sometimes in that way, not in an ignorant way, but just in a way that, you know, I don't swear. So I'll say things like sugar babies and, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So this guy said to me one day, he said, you know what I worry about? He was so well-intended when he said that. He said, you know what I worry about with you? And I said, what? He said, you know, you have this natural folksy way about you and it's very endearing and it draws people to you. But I sometimes worry that it will hold you back because people don't see you as being as intelligent maybe as and polished as someone else. And so I looked him squarely in the eye and I said, their loss. And he said, what? I said, you see, there are some things that I can't sacrifice because it means that I will lose my edge. If I don't go back to the things I was taught from my grandmother, like teeth and tongue fall out sometimes, lay down with dogs, you'll get up with fleas. Um, you know, those kinds of things that my grandmother taught me, they were folk ways of understanding how to be and how to exist in the world. But those lessons were the foundation for what I understand about being in the world of work. And so I can't abandon those things because those are assets, not just to me, but to the organization that I have those life lessons that I was always taught to apply to how I lead. You have to be clear about who you are. You have to be. You can't, my dad told me this. He said to me, 
And my daddy loves me. So you're not going to be surprised that he said, that. <laughs> he said, baby, you an eagle. Mm. If I put you in a chicken coop, you're not going to be your best because you're not a chicken. You are an eagle. You have to have the opportunity to soar. You have to know who you are. There's nothing wrong with the chicken. It's just not who I am. You have to know who you are and what you bring. And you don't let other people define that for you. People can give you constructive criticism in those places where you need to show up better or do more. That's acceptable. But you never let people tell you who you are. If you walk into a room and other people have to tell you whether or not you're okay, I can tell you, you're not going to have a good experience. But if you walk into that room, knowing who you were, are when you walk in, you'll be pretty cool when you walk out. Cause that's who you're leaving with. Mm -hmm. Wow. It is damaging to let other people define you. Round of applause, everybody. <laughs> wow. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing this profound insight, all of your insights today with us, both personally and professionally. Um, before we wrap up our conversation here today, um, I have a few closing questions. Uh, this is where things get more fun. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. So I am not sure if you are a listener of podcasts, but if you do listen to them, um, what podcast or podcasts would you love to share with our audience? Okay, so my one of my favorite podcasts is a podcast called Smartless. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I no. really enjoy. This is um, a podcast with uh, Jason Bateman. Mm. And I'm trying. To, I can't. The, the names of the Sean Hayes and Will Arnett. Mm. I um I love that. Um I love a podcast called Handsome with Tig Notaro. Do you listen to have you listened to that? <laughs> no, it's popped up for me on my list, but I haven't given it a listen yes, yet. Yes, <laughs> I love that one. Um Mae Martin and Fortune Meister, Meister, I think it's Fortune's last name. I may have Fortune's last name wrong, but I listened to that one. I listened to Hillary Clinton's podcast. Um, I listened to Martha Stewart's podcast. I listened to Quest Love Supreme. Oh, nice. I listened to J.Ill. It is a podcast with uh, Jill Scott, Asia Graydon nice. Dantzler, and Laia St. Clair. Um, I'm trying to think of who else I listened to when Reba McIntyre had a podcast, I would listen to her every opportunity I got. I listened to all of the podcasts. Um, I can't think of the person's name. There was a, a um, murder in South Carolina, the Murdoch murders. Oh yeah. And I listened to every podcast associated <laughs> with that because I was familiar with um that um with with that part of South Carolina so those you know I do a lot of driving mm -hmm. and so those are the podcast I listen to most of the time um and and then I have a guilty pleasure of a podcast oh I also listen to the podcast associated with Julia um the the H the Max series Julia um, Gilded Edge and just like that. Nice. And, 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 and the band. 
the bear. Oh, nice. Nice. Podcast associated with those shows. I listen to those as well. Nice. Nice. Those are great recommendations. Thank you. <laughs> I know nothing is cerebral. Well, well Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Um, oh, and Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus also had a wonderful podcast. I hope it comes back for another season. She's wonderful. Yes. I wish Brené Brown would come back with her podcast, but yeah. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> thank you for sharing those. Um, oh, you're welcome. So what do you know about life? that a few others have yet to figure it out? Huh. I don't know. You know, I'm at a place in life where I um, am always re-examining everything. But I will say other people have probably figured this out, but I will share a couple of things. The first thing is that it is short. It is really short. So you do have to take advantage of every bit of love you can get. The second thing I would say is you better figure out what your main thing is be and not get distracted with other stuff because of your main thing. Um, it's The other thing I know is that it will end one day. And... I would love for my life to end saying that I had used up all of the talent I had been given, that I used up all of the generosity that was in my spirit by giving it to other people. Um, I hope, I pray that at the end of my life, there are people who have a warm place in their heart for their interactions and their experiences with and of me. And then this is the thing that I would say that other people definitely have learned, but I think it's worth sharing. Don't go against the force, go with it. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, one last question for us to conclude here our conversation. Mm -hmm. And I love asking this one, especially at the end of our conversation. For what in life do you feel most grateful? Hands down, my family. I, this is the truth, Deb. When I was growing up, I did not know that I was not royalty because my family loved me so in such a big way that I figured I had to have been really special to get that much love and have that much positive regard for me. And so, um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much for being on the Meet the Leadership podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you, Dr. Savitri. Appreciate you being here. Do you have any final words for our listeners? Well, I would just say I am grateful for the opportunity to reflect on these things and to talk with you. And, you know, anybody who hears this, if they have an interest in just having a virtual coffee and talking more, 
I'd be open to that. I would love to do that. Thank you. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you so much. To our listeners, thank you for joining us on this insightful journey. Remember to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Until next time, embrace courage and leadership in your own unique way. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Me the Leadership podcast. Remember to tune in for our next episode where we will be joined by another Walden leader to discuss their leadership experiences and insights. To stay up to date with this podcast, subscribe to the My Faculty Podcast playlist on SoundCloud. The Meet the Leadership podcast is produced by the Office of Teaching and Learning Excellence, supporting Walden faculty through training, orientation, professional development, and coaching. With a mission to provide Walden faculty members with unique teaching and learning experiences and empower them with the tools they need to create inclusive and accessible classrooms, OTLE collaborates with academic leaders to foster each faculty member's career growth and development as an education leader. Discover how the Office of Teaching and Learning Excellence can help you reach your full potential. Contact them at otle at mail.waldenu.edu. Thanks for tuning in.